I'm Steve Vibronix, and this is the Life in Dub podcast, talking to people who live their lives in dub and reggae. Episode number nine. Welcome to the ninth Life in Dub podcast, a series that features in-depth interviews with people who've lived their lives in dub and reggae. As with every time, thanks for all the support from all you listeners out there, and thanks for all the messages. Keep sending them in, because I will respond to each one in time. And you can email me at vibronix at gmail.com, or get me on Facebook, Instagram, and all the usual places, and you can visit the podcast website, lifeindub.com. So how are you all doing out there in lockdown? It's been a few weeks here in the UK, and with each day, it seems to be at the same time more normal and more strange in equal measures. I think it's fair to say it's going to be a while before any kind of large gathering will be on the cards. Last week, me and Vanya O recorded a short live dub mix show in our garden here in Leicester. You can still see it on the Vibronics Facebook page if you want to check it out. We just wanted to show everyone that we're still here and all in the same boat on lockdown. I have to say thanks to everybody that watched it and sent such encouraging messages to us. It was great to hear from you all, from near and far, and if lockdown continues, I think you can expect a part two at some point. And that's the crazy thing about this whole virus situation. Music, and especially our Roots Reggae sound system music, is made for mass gatherings, for people to share in venues and festivals. And right now, that's been taken away from us. We can all listen to music like we do every day, at home, in the car, on headphones, whatever way we choose. But a sound system is a physical thing, it's an experience. It's more than just the music. A sound system makes you feel the music. And playing the sound system is a vibes thing. There's no rehearsal. It's a spontaneous one-away experience that you can't get remotely or over the internet. And I'm counting the days until we can gather around a sound system again. But like others, I'm trying to do what I can to share my music and uplift people in these difficult times. This week, my guest is Danny Red, one of the key voices in modern roots reggae. And as you'll hear, I'm a longtime fan. We recorded this interview before the coronavirus crisis, with Danny in Kingston, Jamaica, and me in the Dub Cupboard studio in Leicester. For me, it was great to make the first UK to Jamaica hookup for the Life in Dub podcast, and a real honour to be welcoming Danny Red to the show. Danny is for sure a true original thinker and a great orator, and we touched on topics as diverse as noise abatement politics in Jamaica, Danny's discovery of Rastafari, and even Elvis Presley. So enough of me, let's get on with the interview. Well, Danny Red, welcome to the Life in Dub podcast. Blessed love, man. Greetings. Give thanks. My first uh, podcast link up all the way to Jamaica, so something I'm very excited about. Yes, I. Over here in Jamaica, all our vibes and you don't know, sending it out to the world, so give thanks. Well, like I've been saying on all the podcasts... Um, I, I can hear a dog barking in the background. That's what I like to hear. I'm just trying to picture how it is over there, you see. So <laughs> it's nice to hear these things. But what I'm doing with the podcast, when I start, the, the first thing I'm doing is asking all of my guests if they can name a track that really kind of changes things for them. They think about, yeah, I heard that track and that really kind of affected me or kind of made me think differently. Or So I don't know if you've got an example of something like that you want to share with um... us tracks that i mean there's so many but i do remember a track that really had a really great impact on me because i thought the rhythm was like the best rhythm ever made and that would have been um lopez walker's new garden nice yeah yeah when i heard that i was more of a dj fan i, I used to love michigan and smiley 
especially the studio one releases. And it wasn't until I heard that uh, Lopez Walker, that type of rocker's style, it, it was like, yeah, this is the best. And I thought I knew the best by listening to my favorite DJs and stuff. Even though Lopez Walker is not a DJ, the rhythm itself, that just blew me away. I, I could never get tired of that rhythm. And then there was the, another version, um, Send Another Moses, and also a DJ cut by um, Jabberidge, Daily News. Those three, oh, to me, just, yeah, I want to do rhythms like this. I want to be on rhythms like this. Someone, someone like Lopez Walker's just a, a great lyricist and a slightly underrated artist, I guess, as well, in yeah. kind of modern times. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And then again, the whole label, Phase One label, I thought they, they, that was a brilliant label. Yeah, 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 with great, great music you know? on that label. Yeah, so that particular sound... You know, as I said, there's too many to mention things that I did love, but the phase one sound, when they came with that sound, it's just like, wow, that blew me away. Nice, nice. So keeping on the whole kind of music track, it's like, what? how, how did music kind of come into your life? When, when, when did it start to be something that you were interested in? I was always interested in music because um, I come from a family that plays a lot of music. And... In my household, especially most people from a Jamaican background, Jamaican household can relate to what I'm saying. Our houses are very eclectic when it comes to music. So we'll, we'll, we'll have our reggae, we'll have our rock steady, we'll have our ska, we'll have rhythm and blues, we'll have country and western. We even have, you know, ballads and stuff. You, you, you could easily find a Frank Sinatra in a Jamaican home alongside a Jim Reeves, you know, and stuff like that. So... Yeah, I've, I've always found the country and western link to be kind of slightly, kind of, not just not what I expected when I, when people first told me about it years ago, the link with country and western music in Jamaica, but it's, it's very strong, it is, isn't it? it? Very, very strong. It always has been. Very strong. Um, my mother used to play a lot of country and western. My father was more of a rhythm and blues man. Um, and as I said, there would be reggae in there as well. There'd be ska and rock steady. There'd be calypso as well. Um, very eclectic. And that's, that's just a standard Jamaican family settings, all these types of music. Can you sing along, you dance along? I always envisioned myself from very young singing. Um, when I was very young, I actually used to like Elvis Presley. He was my favorite. So okay, you were singing, singing along with Elvis. Oh, yeah. I'm pretending I was Elvis, <laughs> you know. So I always had that desire. I've always been singing. Well, even if it's just singing for fun, I was always singing. I used to like singing in church. I was never in no choir or anything like that, but just singing normally with the congregation. And I enjoyed it because we had some good songs in church. So, yeah, singing. My mom's always singing. My dad's always humming something. My grandparents, well, not so much my grandfather, but my grandmother, she loves music. You know, her type of music. She likes, she's like people like Louis Jordan, you know, and Louis Prima, uh, and those old type of music, rhythm and blues, big band jazz, swing music, all those type of music she loves, you know, as, as well as her calypso and um, old Jamaican ballads. Like Jackie, Edward, like Jackie Edwards and those type of people. And what, what about like when you started to kind of get more into, into reggae music? I mean, how, how, how was that happening and what, what kind of stuff was going on? Well, then? reggae was always there. No, reggae's always there. 
we always knew we were reggae. I mean, we're Jamaican, so we knew we were reggae. It, it, reggae was nothing like unusual to us. It's just part of our soundtrack growing up from day one. So, you know, it's, it's, it's nothing I discovered. It's just normal what you grow up with, you know. Um, as I say, for, for Jamaicans, it's just normal. We didn't really discover it that way to say, like, you know, one day, oh, wow, I heard this music, but I, w I didn't really hear it until now. No, no. And what, what about, like, like, live bands or sound system? I mean, what, what kind of ways were you kind of, you know, were you, were you, were you listening? Especially when you were getting a little bit older and you may be out and about on your own and kind of... Oh, well, that would, that would um, sound system-wise, then that would be London, really. Okay, okay. Start started started um, with a sound in Tottenham called City Dread, which was owned by a Rastaman named Jabones, who also had a Rasta organization called RUZ Rastafari Universal Zion. So yeah, I used to follow his sound. I was part of his actual organization, so I was part of the sound also. A young DJ, wasn't that good. I used to mainly copy other DJs, their lyrics. Yeah, well, you got to start somewhere, haven't and, you? And just, yeah. Because I'm, I'm really interested in kind of what dances were like um, back, in, back in the days then when it's like, I guess, much more of a militant kind of thing. And I wonder what your recollection of, of dances in London when you were young and first discovering them, what, what, what they were like. The, um, exciting. Exciting and... Because of the, let's say, the political climate at the time, because we're talking 80s, 1980s we're talking about. The, the climate at the time, we felt very um, secluded from society. We felt we were under attack from society. So the sound system and the blues dances were our little space our utopia within music, um, places we could voice our opinions, places we could gather without feeling um, isolated. And it was very tough for most, most um, black youths in London, all around the country at the time, not just London, all about the country. So the blues dances were very important to us. It was, it was more than just going to a dance. It was a community thing. It was... Um, linking up with your friends, even hearing the daily news, our daily news. Um, get, it was like getting letters from Jamaica as well, so we could keep up with what's going on back home through the music and the trends and, you know, so it was our, our, our little space. It, 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 you know, we enjoyed it, we loved it. That was, that was it was, um, I wouldn't say exclusive to us, in terms of um, who would attend these dances, but mostly it was mostly black youths. And you're, you're talking about, and you're, you're talking about like blues dances and yeah, kind yeah, of bigger yeah, yeah. dances blues, in halls yeah. and stuff as well. Yeah, and, blues dances. And you used, to, used to go and check. You used to go and check these blues dances as well. Yeah, yeah. So these are in people's houses. Houses. Some of them they're just even derelict houses, empty houses. You know. And again, as I said, it was a social, it was more than just a dance, it was a social vibration. You get to see your bridges and find out what's going on. 
you know, um, obviously dress up. Everybody likes to dress up. And it was an escape from what our reality was. Unemployed, harassed by police, bad housing, you know, bad education, all of this stuff. So the dances was our relief. And these are like inner city London for people who are listening from other places. These are like inner city London vibes, aren't they? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I would say the same thing would have probably happened to people like, say, Manchester, Birmingham, Liverpool. They, they were going through the similar experiences as, as we in London at the time. Yeah, I mean, I've heard so many stories about what was happening in Leicester, and it's a bit before my time, but it sounds like a similar kind of similar kind of experience that was going on. And w- when did you start to kind of maybe get involved in? You said you started moving moving with some sounds and picking the mic up and stuff, and mm-hmm. kind of. Well, I wonder what that kind of what that, what that was like and what that experience was like, kind of getting involved in it. Well, first of all, being part of a sound with the first sound, I was with Ruz um, City Dread, rather. I'm learning, very young, still learning. I would have been about uh, 15 or so at the time. So still learning. But so you're kind of school age. Yeah. You know, again, school, I didn't really go to school, so it was my school. When I moved on to another sound in the later 80s called Jamaica Sound and another sound called um, Fine Style Sound. Now, by the time I was working with these two sounds, I was a fully-fledged DJ then. And it was something, like you wore it as a pride, a, a badge of honor, because you could get people excited. They, they, they liked the way I used to DJ, the, my tone of voice. You know, and which all of those stuff make you feel good. Plus, unlike you today, the sound was our gang. Mm-hmm. So the sound was the family, the sound was the gang, and our weapons was the music. So we didn't have gang fights or anything like that. We had sound clashes, uh, you, you know? So our, our concept was very different to the youth today. Sound system and music, that was our gang. And you felt proud. To be in a sound, even if you was just the box boy, you felt proud picking up those boxes and going inside. You know, I belong to this sound. All of, most of the youth felt that kind of pride. Even a lot of girls, you know, my boyfriend's in a sound. You know, it was a big thing for, for us as youths. So what, what, what were some of these sound clashes like? I was wondering if you've got any like recollections of any, because I'm, I'm very interested in these kind of original days of UK sound system. The difference with clashes today and then, we would play, like a dub plate now, wouldn't necessarily be a special. It would be either a mix or a song that's not released yet. So it's like an exclusive, but you'd cut it on dub plate anyway, like Jamarcus them, he used to do a lot of them. Go to Jamaica and, and get music and come back and put them on dub special mixes, some of these tunes, they're not going to be released for maybe a few months' time, so he's got a few months to play them exclusively and things like that. So these were your dub plates, and these are what you take and kill sounds. The DJ now, he was the one that would verbally attack the other sound, but we were never vulgar. Okay. That was the difference. We were never vulgar. We used to have sound clashes, and yes, the music, the dub plates, exclusive, and then you've got the MC now, who's going to really, he's the one that's going to 
pick up your sound and talk about your sound. So the, he was the living special. We didn't cut specials. The DJ was the living special. A lot, it's a lot about the lyrics, isn't it, I guess? And kind of armed, armed with lyrics. Yeah, all about lyrics. And that's, that's what wins the night most of the time, well, especially for the youth. The big man sound them, I think some of them used to think that we DJ too much. Because the, the, the bigger man sound them, they used to have times when the DJs them don't DJ. Like you call it rent a tile time, you know, lockdown time. So not really playing no versions for anybody to DJ on. But the youth man sound, no, everything from the beginning to the end, you best be playing versions. Cause we chat all night, and that was your kind of like schooling in in performing and like flowing and kind of you know kind of getting your skills up as a, as a vocal artist. Would you, would you say? Oh yeah, definitely, most definitely. And I used to follow, as I said, I used to follow the DJs very closely and all the different styles, and whatever trend was going on at the time, I would be doing it. You know, when Papa Levi then was doing the fast talking, I was doing the fast talking. When it was on the bang, bang, biddly, 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 and all of that, I was doing all of that. When, you know, I... I okay, you've got these different trends coming yeah, all the time. Yeah. And all kind of things that are in fashion at the moment. Yeah, and I followed all of those trends. Um, yeah, DJing was my thing. DJing was my thing. Singing, that came a lot later. And you said about the sounds going to Jamaica to get music and stuff. And d what about when, like, like maybe British music as well? Because there's such a big scene for reggae music in London and in Birmingham and in the mm -hmm, 80s. And mm -hmm. it's kind of, um, I was wondering, um, you know, I guess that's maybe where you got involved in music, was like in British studios and... No, 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 no. Um, Recording-wise, studio-wise, I'm right here in Jamaica. Okay. Okay. Um, my first recordings. I returned to Jamaica in 1983. Yeah, I was here for just over a year at that time. It's an amazing time and for music, 1983. Yeah, yeah. And I got to record some tracks. The, the backing band was um, mostly the Brownie brothers. You know, Dalton Brownie, uh -huh. Noel Brownie, Danny Brownie. Most of, most of them, they were the, 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 the backing band. Um, they used to back Paul Blake and Bloodfire Posse. Okay. And I got to do a DJ cut on the Get Flat Rhythm, um, which was a big hit for, for Paul Blake then. So I got, to, I, got to do, I got to do that track. I'd done two tracks, actually. And do you, do you remember where you recorded them? I'm, I'm so interested in the studios, you see. Uh, it's true, it's not there anymore. In Stony Hill, called um, Music Mountain. Yeah, at the time it was a brand new, relatively brand new studio at, at that time. Yeah, Music Mountain, Stony Hill. I, I, that studio's gone redundant long time now. It doesn't exist anymore. You know, my, my association with Danny Red is definitely hearing your records like in the early 90s and like Be Grateful and stuff. Obviously, this mm -hmm. is a lot later, but it's like my, my first association with you is, is as being a, like a studio artist. Okay. So I was wondering what, 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 what it was like being in the studio for you. It, was, it, was it like a natural environment or is it something that something you're interested I in? I loved it. I was nervous. I was nervous. You nervous, know. yeah, I'm sure. But at the same time, I, I soaked it up. I, yeah. When that red light goes on. But I, I enjoyed it tremendously. I really did. And I felt like I achieved something. Like, I, you know, gave you a sense of self-worth, so to speak. I've recorded in a real studio. 
And the intention is to release these songs, and they were released. So by the time they were released, that made me even more proud. Yeah, because once you're on the record, you've made it onto a record. That's such a big confidence thing. But at the time, people didn't know me as Danny Red. They knew me as Danny Dread. Okay, okay. When, when did the Dread become the Red then? Well, what really happened now, 1987... 1987, I recorded a track called Jajame. It was something I was singing on Jamaica's sound system, Anna Bergerin, Joe Love. He said, yeah, I was like that. He says, Danny, you can sing, you know? Because remember, I, I'm not, I wasn't a singer, only DJ. And those first recordings, were you, were you doing like a DJ style in the studio with those first recordings? Yeah, yes, strictly DJ. Strictly DJ. Okay. And okay. My, D, my DJing style at the time was, you could say it was like a hybrid Josie Wales mixed with Brigadier Jerry in a, in a Danny Red way. Because again, I used to fashion <laughs> nice. DJ and I used to fashion myself off of them as well. So, you know, I wasn't entirely unique. I would try and put my personal edge on it. But basically, I used to copy people. Well, it's nothing new under the sun. I mean, we're, we're all inspired by things. Mm-hmm. I had this song and. Joe Love said he liked it, and we went to a studio. I think, I don't, trying to remember the studio. It may have been Easy Street. It may have been Easy Street. I don't really recollect. But that was, yeah, 19, that was 1986, actually. And this song was released in 87. And because I was more singing now, and I thought, well, the Danny Dread's not really working because you've got a Danny Dread in Jamaica DJing. And you also had Danny Dread from Long Time, the selector, from Emperor Fiat Zone, Addis Zone, Volcano Zone, all kind of zone. So there's too many Danny Reds on the market. Danny Dreads, rather. <laughs> <laughs> and it's time then, to bring something new then. Yeah, and what really happened, I remember one time um, there was a review. John Mazur reviewed um, my, one of my songs in the Echoes. And also reviewing an, another Danny Dread in Jamaica, his song. And the review is, is, is like it's the same person. Because I remember John Merziri saying, well, Danny Dread's been very busy. <laughs> you know, and they said, no, that's not me. That one's me. But so I thought, you know something, change your name. So what I did, the way I used to spell Danny Dread. The dread was always D-R-E-D. So when you look at it, dread, yeah. Just drop and it's, the D. It's D-red, dread. So I thought, okay, my name is Danny. My name is Daniel. Everybody calls me Danny. So just Danny Red. D-red, dread. So I'm still Danny Dread in some respects. Like the dread is still in there. <laughs> but now we know you as Danny Red. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So I would say 1987, with that release, that's the beginning of um, Danny Ray. Okay, okay. And how, how, how did it go from being, so Danny Red's born, um, you've done some, you moved on to doing some singing, and then, because I guess like where I, I come in with my knowledge of you is like Be Grateful and stuff, when I remember buying that when it came out, and that being such a big tune. Mm-hmm. And it having mm-hmm. this, this, I remember the, the, the voice being particular as well. It's, no one really had a voice like that on, in the records I was buying. And the, the, 
the right. lyrics as well and that kind of calm way that you kind of speak out the lyrics was just really I remember it being very affecting so I was wondering how you kind of transitioned from like you're in Jamaica recording these early vocal tracks to being because I guess Be Grateful was recorded in UK yeah in the UK uh-huh. that was with Manasseh that was re- yeah with Manasseh we recorded when Manasseh had his studio in Brixton mm-hmm. that was recorded and it it was actually recorded around 1990 or 91 that um, recording went missing. <laughs> it Manasseh went missing? Yeah, I, maybe got erased or something like that, but we couldn't find it. We couldn't find it. Even a few years ago, me and Manasseh were talking and he said, oh, he would love to discover that that if he could find it somewhere because it's a totally different rhythm. Okay. So we redone it around, I think, 94? 94, I think we redone it, or 93. And that's the one everybody knows. That's the one that came out on on Riz Records. Um, Originally, it came out on a blank just yeah, blank. I've, I've, and I've by got that it on a time, blank with like a red stamp on. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And you see, by that time now, I had um, interest from um, Columbia uh-huh. label. Because that's interesting. I'd, I'd love to know how that kind of stuff happened because it's like when those big boys come calling from the big labels, then they're obviously seeing and hearing something in you that's of interest to them. And, mm-hmm. and I was wondering, like, what if, if there's a story around that at all? Um, it's, not, it's not really that complicated. I have to say, um, who really put that together is a, an old friend of mine named Martin Poole. And Martin Poole's brother... Martin's always been involved in music in some manner over the years. Um, helped to compile a few reggae LPs for Virgin and stuff like that. Um, he's been involved in promotion. And he knows a lot of industry people. So initially what happened was Martin got me a nice publishing deal initially. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, sorted out my publishing for me. Um, and some other artists as well. What happened with the publishing, they gave me an advance to go and make an LP. We have no record deal. Yeah, we made a whole LP for £1,000. They got their money. Yeah, that's them. what they gave us, £1,000. And we made an LP out of that. And uh, we shopped it, Martin shopped it around. And to be honest, quite a few labels wanted it. We thought maybe they don't understand reggae too much, and it, so it might be a risk. And it was a reggae album, or was it like more diverse? And it, it was more diverse because there was hip hop elements in there. Uh-huh. There were some tracks that are straight reggae. There were um, some tracks which were obviously like half reggae, half hip hop, like a reggae bassline but a hip hop drum. Yeah, it, 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 but basically, it was a reggae album with these different flavors in it. And it, it, it done pretty well. It done pretty well. Maybe not as good as the company would have wanted to do, but it done pretty well by my standards. But they didn't put you on top of the pops then? No, 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 no. I didn't, I didn't get to the top of the pops. I think the furthest I moved up with any track was in like maybe number 30 or number 29 or something like that. <laughs> well, it must, must have been quite a ride because it's when, when the, the big labels are involved and they're promoting it heavily and 
kind of it's all happening it's quite exciting times i guess yeah it was very exciting i was traveling the world i by by um 94 i relocated back home to jamaica and i was here for some time i was here in jamaica up until 2000 so okay after that album there was like this long space of danny red missing in action and nobody heard from me so it wasn't until, yeah, 2000, returning to London in 2000 and still not doing anything. And it would have been about 2005 I started to re-record and started to release music again. So there was literally about 10 years missing. And was um, that a conscious decision to move away from music at that yeah, time? Yeah, 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 yeah. Because I was doing other stuff before music. I'm also an artist in terms of... Like a, uh, like a visual artist. Yeah, I paint. I sketch. Um, I used to make arts and crafts. That's one of the things I used to do in the Rasa organization that I belong to, was mostly arts and crafts. So I'd make things like ludi boards, um, draft boards, um, little um, badges made out of coconut shell. You know, you cut them out like an Africa shape or a Caribbean island shape, a heart shape a line of Judah shape, you know, Ethiopian flag shape, and you paint them. And we, we sell them. And in those days, they sell a lot. Nice. Because people, people, people did, loved um, cultural trinkets very much more in those days. It wasn't just Rastas who were buying these things. People in general, you know. So they used to sell that a lot. So I was just more concentrating on things like that and doing other work. And what what and what what brought you back into the music? Because you seem to come back with real like power and force, and there was a, a whole string of like big tunes you released in that early two yeah. thousands time. It, it, it was nothing special. It was just one. I just says I'm ready. I just told myself I'm ready again. There was no build up or anything like that. There was no there was no plan. I just said yeah, I got to get back into it. One, one thing that's always interests me, and it's something I've spoken to quite a few guests about, I guess it's kind of a bit of an obsession of mine, but is is like lyrics. And that's what I think of when I think of your songs, is having a strong lyrical content. I mean, do you, do you write lyrics? Do you, is it stuff that comes to you while you're singing? I wonder how you go about writing your songs. Cause the There's different ways. Sometimes, sometimes you can just be walking on the street and singing to yourself, DJing to yourself, whatever, and you might find a nice little hook. You try to remember that. Other times, um, you've got a project to do and people send you a rhythm and the vibes is just there. You just start writing. Then other times, somebody might send me a rhythm and I can't write immediately. It might take me two, three days. I could be listening to the track over and over again and I just can't write anything. And then I leave it and I come back and then all of a sudden lyrics are coming like a fountain. So I don't force it, I don't plan it, I just think about it and if it's a bit too difficult, I can't come up with anything, I just give it a break and come back later. And have you always been interested in words? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because I think that comes across on the records. Yeah, I like unusual words, I like unusual phrasing. I like when people say things that are not normally the way things are said, you know? Like a clever twist on words kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, I love all of that. I love that. Um, like, words-wise, funny enough, 
um, people like Bob Dylan. I was, even from when I was young, I was fascinated with his writing. And I mean, he wasn't the greatest of singer, but his writing was- in, <laughs> That's true. His writing was incredible. It's true, yeah, I'm, I'm a fan of Bob Dylan, I have to say. You know, and yeah, so stuff like that used to fascinate me. Anything that was a bit strange, out of the norm, you know, wow, wow, he, listen how he said that phrase. Because a, fr- a phrase can be such a powerful thing, can't it? If you get it right, it can really say a lot. Yeah, it can, it can. It's sometimes just a little word can, I don't know, instead of saying things the normal way, everybody knows that, everybody says it that way. I don't need to say it that way. It's like when people ask me, say, Danny, um, you sing a lot of... Um, my, all my songs are reality-based, reality-themed, but not all of them are Rasta Pacific. And some people ask me, so, okay, you don't sing as much Rasta Pacific songs as other artists may do. And I will, because they're doing it. How many of us are going to do the same thing? How many of us are going to say the same thing in the same way? Nobody can say anything new. There's nothing new you can say, but you can make it sound interesting just by the way you say it. Yeah, I mean, that for me is so important as, as any kind of artist, but especially a vocalist, to come with their own identity. And it's kind of, I think you've carved that out yourself, I would say. It's like you can't, you can't mistake a Danny Red track. Yeah, I don't want to be an artist where it's just, every song is Bondong Babylon and Ja Rastafari. We have that a million times from the past and we're still having it now. And it's still great, but we cannot just have that one subject matter. There's a lot of things that affect people's lives and this. We need to talk about these things. And I tend to talk about more people's relationship, the hypocrisy of people, how they deal with each other, and, and those type of things. So that's more my subject here. More, you know, I study people. I like to study people and what they yeah, do. Yeah, and I guess... And would you say that that's something that was more prevalent back in the old days of blueses and dances, of people talking about what's going on rather than just kind of like the, the, the like lyrics being a bit of a yeah, news thing? Yeah, re- reggae, reggae is so broad. Reggae is so broad. The whole history of reggae is very wide and broad. So I could never understand why some artists, when we developed this so-called, what I call um, roots renaissance in the 90s, Everybody was on the same subject matter. And after a while, I found that very boring because reggae is not just that alone. Reggae is very wide. Reggae is a, it's a vessel to carry messages. Yeah, it's true. It's true. And you can't send the same message every day, every day, every day, every day. You, you know, if it was a magazine and it was the same thing in the magazine every week, people would start buying that magazine very quick. Yeah. I mean, if I'm going to sing something that is even Rasta, more Rasta Pacific, I must be able to say it in a way that is not the same old rhetoric way. And if I can't do it, then I won't write that song. You know, that's just me. As I said, I like words and I like interesting words. You know, I always have. So I try to write interesting and if people find it interesting, then I'm happy with that. What about um, like Rasta? I mean, that's something that you that is comes up quite a lot in your lyrics. I know you said you, you're talking about a lot of other stuff as well, but I was wondering how how that came into your life. If you if you want to talk about that at all, um, I always had 
admiration for the Rasta man. Never knew what he was about. In my family, oh, don't say the word Rasta, because that, that's a nasty man. That's a dirty man. And they run you know, out of the house. Oh, yeah, 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 definitely. That's the type of family I come from. But I always, he's, he looks strange. And like I said, I like strange. And he looked powerful. And, you know, there was something about the wrestler man that fascinated me. Now I'm talking about this fascination from young, from, from, from Jamaica. So you're growing up and you're seeing, you're seeing Rasta, Rasta people. Yeah, 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 you. yeah. But, yeah, but we don't, I don't know any Rasta. We don't associate with Rasta. And everybody knows that amongst Jamaicans, Rasta is not really the, the, the thing that anyone's family wants in their family. You know, some people outside of Jamaican culture, they might think, oh, well, Jamaica, yes, dreadlocks, Rasta. No way, Rasta was hated down here. And to, in, in many ways, they still are hated. But I was always fascinated. Yeah, I was always fascinated. And I remember seeing, I remember seeing a documentary or a newsreel or something, and it was featuring about Hale Selassie, and there was a famine going on at the time. And it was a very negative documentary. And I remember my family criticizing, oh, he's an evil king, and he's this and he's that, and they're all criticizing. But all their words went over my head because there was one thing that fascinated me. There was a scene with him and his lion, Togo. And I thought, damn, this man's got a lion. And when I was young, I used to draw lots of pictures, and I used to just draw horses and lions, lions and horses. That's all I used to draw. I just loved those two animals. So when I saw it, oh, a man, he literally, this is a real man who control a lion. This is not a circus with the man and the chair and the whip. This lion's following him around and he stroked the lion and the lion's very calm and tame. It's a powerful image. I thought, wow, this is, this is, this is a man. This is a, this ain't no ordinary man. And, and then I didn't even know that the Rasta man have a, um, reverence for this man at the time. I had no, I didn't make no association. By 1979, without knowing much, I declared myself a Rasta and, and threw away the comb, and also lost my my uh, my family dwelling. Cause you can't stay there and be a Rasta. Yes, it's not an easy road. <laughs> no, no. So yes, from 1979, I declare myself Rastafari right? and. Just learning along the way, because even then, just by declaring it, I was still didn't have much knowledge. I had to learn bit by bit, and here I am now. This would be what? Um, yes, I'm just trying to work it out. My maths. Forty-one years yeah, later. Forty-one years later, I'm still here. Yeah. And how 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 has it changed for you? Your like idea of of, of Rastafari and kind of what you see around you it's it, i mean like 41 years is a long time mm -hmm. it's it's how i see it um Rust has made a lot of progress in certain ways but at the same time we're still not as organized as we should be but we've made progress in terms of some of the things because we were very rigid and very orthodox in our thinking in the early days so you know certain things were not allowed um, like for instance, a woman, you, you got your empress, she has to wear a long dress. She has to have her hair covered, you know? And it was very male dominated at the time. 
And we've slowly, over the years, um, accepted the freedom of the empress and not have her down like, you know, she's below. Because that, even that used to put off a lot of sisters back in the day, say, oh, Rasa is oppressive towards women. And in many ways they were in the early days. But over the years we've learned. We now hail up. Well, it's different yeah, times back yeah, then Yeah, different as well. times. We never used to hail up um, Empress Menin, his majesty's wife before. We're doing that now. So that's progress. Um, there was a time where, no, 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 you could not be any other nation but African descent to be a Rasta. And we was very adamant about that. No, we say no, Rasta is for all nations who embrace. Because how can you, if we're preaching truth and rights and peace and love and all of these things, then nobody has the right to, to say that belongs to them and deny anybody else that. No, everybody deserves the same rights of living and freedom of worship and praise and living good with each other. So yes, progress. No, all nations are, are Rastafari now. All nations. Everywhere you go, you'll find a Rastafari. And I'm not talking about people who just grow their dress for fun. I'm talking genuine people who praise Rastafari. So I look at that. That's progress. The only thing is what we're still lacking is that cohesiveness together to forward our goals. And most of our goals is really is African development. So we need, we need to pull together a bit more, organize, centralize, as we always say. Because it's, it's a big, it's a very big, it's a very big worldwide movement now. So like you say, I guess if, if, if those mm. kind of powers can be harnessed, then, you know, ama amazing, amazing, amazing things, things, can, things happen. can happen. I mean, let's take music first, for, for example. The amount of Rasta-themed reggae music, dub music, roots music over the years... And now, and we don't even have a solid Rasta music label company that we say, yeah, we control this. This, you know, we, 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 we're putting out X amount of Rasta tunes by ourselves as Rasta. We've got have, have our distribution, you know, all of the, and that's just a little simple thing, the music. And that hasn't happened yet. So, you know, uh, I mean, Christians make, go to Christian studios and work with Christian producers and Christian this and Christian that. We the Rasta, with our spiritual messages, we're the only one who, who will record for all non-Rastas and not ourselves. There's nothing wrong with that, don't get me wrong, but it's disappointing to know that we don't have a label for ourselves as Rastas, collectively. A nice big building with a person plant and, and, and a warehouse for, 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 for distribution, all of that stuff. We should have that. That's it. You know? the, the kind of business side is sort of, it's, I think it's, it's such an important part of music because if you want to get the music out to people and the messages contained in the music, then you have to have some kind of business thing, like you say, to press and distribute and record and produce and all, all those things. But it's kind of... It's almost mm -hmm. something that like people don't really talk about much because because the message and the music is such kind of it's such a focal point of everything that people don't talk enough about how is that going to get transmitted to people and I guess I'm I'm kind of interested in in both sides mm -hmm. of that because I love the music but I love to be able to get it out to people so I, I think you're right in saying that yeah that more more progress probably needs to be made in that kind of area I guess 
When you read the words of his majesty, we're not talking biblical now, because that's the problem. When people get too biblical, the biblical is open to interpretation, and that's what's causing wars today. You can take any, any verse and you can twist it to your own meaning. Whereas the words of his majesty are plain and straight. So I tend to stick to his majesty's words. I don't really tend to follow the Bible words. I work with his majesty. Just like Bob Marley says, give me the words of his majesty. We don't want no devil philosophy. So I'm about his majesty and his majesty's viewpoints on various subjects, they're always sound mm -hmm. and clean. You know, and his majesty is a Christian king. But his views and how he speaks, when he speaks of the Bible he, and when he speaks of Christ, he speaks of on our part or on my part. He never says, this is the way, this is how you should be, this is what you should do in terms of, of, of religion. He was very specific in and, and letting people know that religion and spirituality are two different things. Religion mm -hmm. is a habit, and people create habits and rituals around religion. Spiritual is personal, so they're not to be confused, because we recognize today that most religions... They're corrupted. Yeah, just causing problems for people and wars and divisions and all the rest yeah. of it. Yes. So I'm thinking all these books now, these holy books are causing problems. So I stick to his words of his majesty. Because it doesn't matter how these so-called holy books, I can read and tell you, say, that means that. And you can, you know, you can easily interpret it and say, no, Dan, it does not mean that. It means this. It all comes across in your lyrics as well and in, in, in your songs, that kind of your, I guess, unique Danny Red kind of, you know, individual approach to things. It's kind of, it's something that's kind of, I think a lot of people relate to and, you know, mm. you, you, a lot of your music's been very successful and that's because of, you know, a great vocalist, but those lyrics and the way that you kind of allow people to connect with with quite sort of powerful things is... Um, yeah, it's, mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's, it's quite a gift to have, really. And funny, the funny thing about it is sometimes, many times, I might write something or record something and I think to myself, oh, Danny, you need to conform. Yeah, to try and fit it within like how songs are normally sung rather than dealing with something that's maybe a bit yeah. more confrontational or kind of, you know, a bit different. Yeah, and... And then I think, oh, it may be a risk. That song may be a risk. Let me do it the normal way. And then it ends up, people like it after all. Because the problem with me now is because I, from I was a child, as I said, I was a big Elvis Presley fan. And I used to love um, rock and roll music, rhythm and blues music, and even country and western music. Sometimes my vocaling, when I listen to Danny, you're, you're not singing rock and roll. You're singing reggae. You can hear too much Elvis in there sometimes then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sometimes. But then, then, then I just leave it alone and people like it and say, well, boy, that's me. I have to accept it. That's your style, Danny. And, and there's been so much reggae music recorded over such a long time that to, to come with like an individuality is kind of, it's a harder thing to do because it's, oh, you sound a bit like this artist or that artist. So, but I was wondering what's, um, mm -hmm. what's going on in, in Jamaica with regards to music now. I mean, I've never visited Jamaica and I, I, I plan to, I seriously plan to, but I was wondering what's going on over there with music these days. Well, in Jamaica, music-wise, 
there's not really a lot going on because of dances. There's not many dances being kept because of the strict noise abatement out here. So it's hard for sounds to play now, is it? Yeah. I mean, sounds are still playing, but not as regular. Jamaica is not that colourful place it used to be in terms of street dances, open-air dances. Almost every day of the week, there will be somewhere to go. You still have places to go, but not as many as once upon a time. You know, it, it, and the noise abatement thing, it, it's causing a, a, a vibes here in Jamaica. You know, promoters and sound systems, they're lobbying for some kind of ease. Because, I mean, if you keep a dance in the week, first of all, you got to go to your local police station and get written permission, which you have to pay for, by the way. Just to put a dance on. And just to keep a dance. If it's in the week you can keep your dance up until 12 midnight. Weekends, you can keep your dance up until 2 a.m. And that's it. Um, in, over the holiday period just gone, some people got a one-hour extension so they could go on until 3 a.m. And that was just because of the holiday period. But no, you don't, really ha you don't have, in Kingston especially, I'm not too sure about other parishes, but here in Kingston, not that many dances at all. You know, like like how it used yeah, to be. Yeah, we've got the same problem over here. It's like, it's such a struggle to kind of, yeah. especially now, sounds are so loud and so heavy as well. It's kind of, you know, that yeah, creates a whole yeah. another problem of the sound travelling for miles and disturbing everybody in the whole city. Yeah, well, they're proposing on building a, a complex in um, uh, Port Royal, an entertainment complex, and they're saying once it's completed... Um, sounds can go in there and play as long as they want. They won't be disturbing anybody, which is good, but it, I, I, at the same time, it's killing communities because a lot of communities relied on sound systems, you know, because that would give you a chance, especially some street dances. A lot of street dances, you don't mm -hmm. pay. It, the, the, the sound gets paid, they, maybe they... It's they food and drink and By stuff. the amount of yeah, liquor yeah. that sells. Yeah, it's that, that, yeah, stuff like that. So you're living in the neighborhood. He gives you a chance to turn your, the front of your yard into a little spot. Uh, you know, you might be cooking, so, uh, you got a big pot of soup or something. Uh, you're doing some jerk chicken, roast fish, or you're just selling even some drinks too. Or you got your cigarettes and whatever you're selling. So people would generate a little income for themselves out of these dances. So when they take the dances now to a specific spot and that's the place, then you're killing out certain little local communities because they need that economy to run for them. But people are, you know, we're trying, people are lobbying against it, trying to come to some um, compromise that, you know, local areas can still generate some income based upon sound system. And what, what kind of things can we expect from uh, Danny Red in the future? Have you got anything in the pipeline you want to tell us oh, about? Oh, yeah. Um, I can't keep up. I think i got two releases out on the road presently. I know... Yeah, I have. Um, one is um, on a EP, Mess, Giant Happiness Records. Um, I had a, ch a tune that came out just before the holiday period, so it's still basically new. I've got um, a tune that's going to come, should be dropping in the next few weeks or so, on um, Indica label. Mm -hmm. uh, quite a few works, actually. 
And no, so no, uh, no shortage of new Danny Red lyrics coming out. Oh, right? no, 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 no. And the beauty is, no, I'm still basically working with people I know already. Well, one day I would love to record you for my label as well. So I've been a fan of your music for such a long time. So we should try and set it up at some point. You, you hear it first yeah. on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, man, anytime you're ready. But no, music don't stop. And funny enough, it was a bit of a concern when I came back to Jamaica, it was a big con. It's quite a, a long of, way from London, isn't it? Yeah, because the thing is about it, I've worked with Jamaican producers before and I wasn't really, I'm not really interested in the local scene in terms of trying to push myself out there. I need to be in this studio. I need to work with this label, all that. You know, I've already got something set up. I already have a network set up. So I just, I'm happy just dealing with that. Well, Danny, it's been an absolute pleasure listening to your um, your stories and great for you to share these kind of personal insights into things. That's that's what the podcast is all about, a chance for people to um, to get to know like the artist or whoever I'm talking to. So it's great mm-hmm. that you're kind of sharing these experiences with us. That's wonderful. Give thanks, man. And what I'm doing um, at the end of each podcast is I'm asking everyone the same question, which is, I keep saying it, it's a bit of a daft question, but... I've got the book of Dub and I'm writing everyone's name in it, so I'm writing Danny Red. And what what would you want written next to it? Something that you maybe want to be remembered by or associated with or just a statement or I don't know if you've got something you'd want to say in that kind of light. Uh, I would rather say, let your word be true and let your word be the word for you have nothing but the word. For when everything else is just vanity, and trinkets and this and that, none of it matters but your word. So our word must be true because it's the only possession we really truly have. Nice. Well, coming from a, like a, a lyrics man and a vocalist, that's, that's a great sentiment to kind of to leave with us, definitely. So thank, yeah, thanks right. for Give that. thanks, man. Blessed love. See Thanks again for joining me and Danny for this ninth episode of the Life in Dub podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to Life in Dub wherever you pick up your podcasts. Feel free to email me at vibronics at gmail.com with any comments and suggestions for the show. And as ever, you can visit the website lifeindub.com. I'll see you all again in two weeks for the next Life in Dub podcast.